I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me this evening to John chapter 3. We're going to look together at uh, that wonderful chapter, the first 15 verses. We're uh, going through John at Grace Fellowship. And um, tonight we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. John chapter 3. Let's hear God's Word together. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This ends a reading of God's holy word. Well, one of the fascinating things as we read through the Gospels is to be introduced to the variety of characters and the many encounters that Jesus has. And the Gospel of John is certainly no exception. In the next several chapters, uh, John will introduce us to a whole cast of characters. Uh, And and, and these characters have this in common. Uh, They have obvious, in particular, needs. Uh, The woman at the well of Samaria, for example, or the man whose son was gravely ill, or or the gentleman who had been an invalid for 38 years. And it's fairly clear uh, what John is doing. Uh, He's making a case uh, for the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he's also showing us the kind of people that Jesus came to save. But boys and girls, uh, have you ever been given the assignment to uh, circle the picture in the group of pictures that doesn't belong there, or the word in the group of words that doesn't fit in? If we were to be given that assignment in the early chapters of the Gospel of John and to circle the character that doesn't really fit in to the rest, undoubtedly it would be this Nicodemus. Because while these other characters have obvious needs, Nicodemus comes and Nicodemus seems like he has everything together. 
Nicodemus was highly respected. Nicodemus was highly moral. Nicodemus was himself a, a teacher in Israel. So what is John doing? Why would John introduce Nicodemus at all, let alone introduce Nicodemus before the other characters? Well, let's look at the text together, first by considering Nicodemus' need to be born again. In walks Nicodemus. Uh, notice with me that Nicodemus is the one who takes the initiative and he seeks out Jesus by night. Um, why does he do it then? Well, in all probability, because he doesn't want to be caught in the daylight uh, uh, talking to Jesus. Uh, Jesus had caused quite a stir already, and so Nicodemus, to sort of cover his tracks, decides to meet with Jesus under uh, the, the cloak of darkness. Why does Nicodemus seek out Jesus? Well, we're not told explicitly. I'd love to know the exact answer. Uh, I think it's clear that he's not sent here from Jerusalem by other Pharisees. I think he has an intentional, personal uh, desire to meet with Jesus and to seek something from Jesus Christ. What we can't be entirely sure of. Maybe he wanted a little uh, advice from Jesus. Maybe he was seeking a little wisdom from Jesus Christ. After all, Jesus had already performed a miracle of changing the water into wine and, and done other things and word was getting out. And so maybe Jesus possessed something that this man Nicodemus uh, could use. But one thing would have been certain, everybody listening to this story would have viewed Nicodemus through the lens of, of respect. He had earned his way up the ladders of Judaism. He was considered to be uh, 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 the kind of guy that, um, that parents pointed their sons to to say, this is what you ought to be like. He was a teacher. He was highly respected, highly moral. He, um, he walked in the right circles. Why did he come to Jesus? I don't know the answer. To find something. But certainly, what he didn't come to Jesus for was what Jesus then told him to do. This, this would have taken everybody by surprise, what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, suddenly the tables turn. Before it was Nicodemus seeking out Jesus. Now clearly, Jesus is the one in control. Jesus is the one who is seeking out Nicodemus. And I think what Jesus now said would have sent shockwaves down this respected teacher's spine. Everything that he'd ever thought about himself was suddenly, by this Jesus Christ, challenged and confronted he came to Jesus in all probability to get a little spiritual encouragement, maybe a little spiritual boost. But what he never expected was for Jesus to tell him that he needed to be born again. That in order for him to see the kingdom, he needed to get a new heart. Imagine your whole life being told that you were set apart, that you were on the inside 
and that on the basis of your hard work and your high status, you were what everyone else was striving to be, only to suddenly, by this, Jesus have the rug pulled out from underneath you. And to say, essentially, none of those things matter. In fact, no one can see the kingdom unless he or she is born again. Now, we're used to this chapter, most of us. And, and, and so, it's hard for us to hear the, the offense of it, the scandal of it. Steve Lawson tries to help us capture it. He says, here is what is so troubling. These words put Nicodemus on the same spiritual plane as everybody else. Jesus said that he had no special status with God. Though a leading figure in the religious establishment, he nevertheless must be born again. This, he says, placed Nicodemus where he would have never expected to be just as spiritually bankrupt as the beggars and the prostitutes that he despised. Now, there's a lot of talk today about being born again. It, it, in our culture, it generally usually means to have a new start, a new beginning. A lot of people are born again on January 1, turn over a new leaf. But what Jesus is saying here is far more comprehensive than just a fresh start. What Nicodemus needed was a whole new heart. Nicodemus needed to be born again from heaven. And trust me, that had never crossed his mind. Maybe a few pointers, maybe a, a, a reorientation. But what never would have entered the realm of possibility was that his impeccable life was actually part of the problem if Jesus was right. Who has a harder time seeing their need for grace? The down and out, wounded and weary sinner who keeps stumbling over their own sins or the put together religious churchgoer? Maybe that is why John chose to organize his material this way. Maybe that's why he put Nicodemus before any others, to show that everybody needs a new birth, not just those on the outside looking in like the woman of Samaria, but those who are already on the inside, the religious type. What attracts you to Jesus Christ? Maybe you're a church attender because you're convinced that it's a good thing to do. But maybe that's all that you're convinced by, that to come to church will help you live a better life. But unless we are born again, we do not have the Spirit of God living within us. I understand this morning Pastor Dale preached on Galatians 5 and the need for the Spirit of the living God to empower us to put off the flesh. And there are certain marks that accompany the new birth, things like a love and affection for Jesus and a love and affection for His Word and a desire to honor Him, uh, a repentance, a love for his church, 
Could it be that there are those here tonight or listening at home who have gone through the motions their entire lives and have done church, but have never really had much of a desire at all to go beyond that, to know Christ more, to honor Christ? And could it be that the reason is because one is not born again? The story is told of a young man who had attended church for many months and years and uh, was converted. And then he told his elder, I can't believe how much this church has changed just in the last few weeks. The hymns are so lively now. The worship is so wonderfully meaningful. Why, even the preacher is better. He'd been born again from above. To be born again means you receive a complete heart transplant. The problem isn't that our hearts just need a new valve. It's that they're spiritually lifeless and without a transplant, without a new birth, will die an eternal death apart from God in a physical place called hell. What's needed, therefore, is not a rearranging of new priorities or a reshuffling of schedules. It's far deeper than that. And I think by the way he responds, Nicodemus gets a sense of that. I think he knows that this is just a sort of a reshuffling of things. Jesus is saying something far more comprehensive than that. Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Translation, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for me? I'm a grown man. And now you're telling me that I need to be born a second time. How is that possible? which in many respects is the whole point. It's not based on the flesh, based on the very things that he had spent his entire life trusting, his works and his credentials and his achievements. See, here's what Nicodemus and everyone else needs to see. Our helplessness. The fact that we are lost. Think about it. When Nicodemus sought out Jesus, Nicodemus had no idea that he was lost. Who was more lost in the story of the prodigal son? Was it the younger brother or was it the elder brother? And the answer is yes. The answer is both. Both were equally lost, just in different ways. The younger brother was lost by ignoring and rebelling against the rules. The elder brother was just as lost. How? By trying to keep the rules. This was the Apostle Paul's testimony as well. Working, trying to achieve through his own righteousness, his own zeal for the truth, being a God-fearing man. He, he, thought he, could, he thought he could achieve it. He thought he had achieved it. If anyone had achieved it, it was the Apostle Paul, or at that time Saul, right? Until he recognized that all of those things, all of those credentials, all of those so-called merits were nothing but rubbish. Do you understand how lost you are apart from true faith in Jesus Christ? Or how, if you're a Christian tonight, how lost you once were? We must never let our religious heritage deceive us. Apart from the Spirit's work of regeneration, it doesn't matter how theologically correct we might be 
or how many years we've been serving in the local church, in God's holy eyes, if we have no saving faith, we're lost. And until we come to terms with our lostness, we won't realize that we need to be found. But Nicodemus is now stirred. He wants to know more. Verse 9, he said to Jesus, how can these things be? In other words, Jesus, you've explained the need for me to born again. Please tell me the way to be born again. Secondly, the way to be born again. It's got to be from above. That's what it means. It's only something God can do. Nicodemus, you cannot control being born from above any more than you could determine being born the first time. It's something that must happen to you, not by you. This is what Jesus means when he says in verses 5 and following, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And he's taking a cue from his Old Testament, right? Ezekiel chapter 36, the only way for a dead heart to live is for the Spirit of the living God to take the cleansing power of the Word and to bring about new life. And it's entirely of grace. It's not of works. Which means, moms and dads, as parents, what our kids need ultimately is not a good talking to, ultimately not a new set of priorities. What our children and grandchildren ultimately need is to be born again, which is something that we cannot in our own strength bring about, which is why we're invited to pray and evangelize like crazy, asking God to do the miraculous. When's the last time, parents, that you prayed for your children to be born again? Or do you assume that because they're in the church, everything is a-okay? But Jesus isn't finished. I love the fact that he doesn't end the conversation here. The wind blows where it wishes, Nicodemus. So have a wonderful day. That would be discouraging. How do you become born again? Jesus says, well, you can't do anything. It's got to be from above. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. But I want to be born again. I want a new heart. Is there anything I can do? Or do I just wait? There is something you can do, Jesus goes on to say. In fact, there is something you must do if you are to be born again. It's true that unless we first see our lost state, we'll never be saved, but it's not enough. We, we must also see something else. And for that, Jesus brings in another Old Testament lesson to this rabbi, this teacher, this scholar, 
who would have known the Old Testament like the back of his hand to a time and a place in Israel's history that a man like Nicodemus might have tried hard to forget. The wandering years, those 40 years of walking around in circles with blisters and very little food, all because this stiff-necked people wouldn't stop grumbling because of everything that the wilderness was not and God had had enough. So God sends punishment in the form of fiery serpents among the people, recorded in Numbers. And what do they do? These fiery serpents bite many of the individuals of Israel. I can't personally think of anything worse in all this world and earth than to, to, than to live in this time. And not surprisingly, the people come to Moses. People are dying, and they confess their sins, and they beg Uh, Moses to intercede and to plead with God to take these serpents away. And here's what God did. He commands Moses to make a bronze serpent and to attach it to a pole and to instruct the people that whoever has been bitten can simply look at the bronze serpent and whoever looks at the serpent raised on a pole will live. That's it. That's all you had to do to be healed. And then Jesus takes that episode in Israel's history and he says to Nicodemus, in essence, that is what you need to do. You and everybody else has been bitten with the poisonous venom called sin. In fact, everybody has, but I've made a way for you to be born again, Nicodemus, to be saved, to get a new heart. And it doesn't come by trying harder. Jesus is saying what's required is you have to look. You have to look. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him or looks to Him may have eternal life. What is Jesus communicating Well, every time in John's gospel when Jesus speaks of himself being lifted up, in every instance it points to being lifted up upon the cross. That is where Nicodemus must look to be born again, to the cross, where Jesus of Nazareth was lifted up to be crucified for Nicodemus's sins. You see, if we look there to Jesus, trusting in His merits alone, and simply look with the eyes of faith, we'll be healed, we'll be forgiven, we'll be restored. We will be born again. And if we're born again, and if we exercise saving faith, it is God who worked in us. Well, this is exactly what happened to a young Charles Haddon Spurgeon. When he was 15 years old, it was another Sunday, another day to go to church. He had gone to church his whole life. It was snowing out. He walked to church, and that day it was particularly uh, snowy and blizzardy, and he he couldn't make it all the way to church. And so he he turned in town, and he found the first church he could find, which was a, a primitive Methodist church. 
And, and he got to the church, and, and there was about 12 to 15 people there. And uh, it didn't include the preacher. <laughs> Apparently the pastor couldn't get out of the driveway. And so Spurgeon is standing there in this church service, this Methodist church, and suddenly this, this man stands up, and he gets behind the pulpit. Spurgeon recalls either he was a shoemaker or a tailor, but it was obvious that he was very poor and very uneducated. And this uneducated man opens his Bible to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, which reads simply, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And Spurgeon recalls this man saying, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now that does not take a deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just, look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. Then it says, the man went on to say, look unto me. Then he looked at Spurgeon and told him, young man, you look very miserable. Spurgeon recounts, well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist could do, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. And Spurgeon recalls, there and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment, he says, I saw the sun, and I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is when Spurgeon was converted. At that moment, he was born again because a man who wasn't a preacher loved him enough to say, look, stop working, stop trying harder. And simply with the eyes of faith, look. And don't look in because you'll be really disappointed what you find. But look up. How about you? Are you looking to the one who was for you lifted up upon the cross? That is the invitation tonight. Everyone who looks upon the Son will be saved. This is what it means to be born again. Nicodemus had the same need as the woman at the well. They looked completely different, but they were completely the same. And both meet the Savior Jesus. Have you met the Savior Jesus? Let's look to him together tonight by faith. And then we'll know that we have been born again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this marvelous Savior, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this encounter that John chooses to include in his gospel. 
Lord, we see ourselves, at least I see myself and Nicodemus in many respects. Sometimes I treat you, Jesus, as if I'm coming to you on my terms and, and I'm looking for you to do something for me, to help me in some way or another. And Jesus, you completely, radically turn that upside down and you remind me who you are. And you remind me who I am. That I am not well put together. But Lord, that we are broken and needy and desperate and without your grace we're lost. We thank you, Father, that not only do you show Nicodemus his need to be born again, despite his religious credentials, and especially in some ways because of his religious credentials, but, but you also then show him and us the way to be born again. Lord, we are called to look to Jesus, the lifted up one tonight. And we thank you that he has been revealed to us and shown to us. And we thank you that anyone can look, regardless of our background, regardless of, of our sin, So, Father, help us to see in Jesus a sufficient Savior. Oh, Lord, cause us to leap with joy for being those called and born-again children. And then would you grow in us an appetite for the things of God and even send us out, Lord, commission us out to go to our communities, to our places of work, to our neighborhoods, to pursue our own encounters with the Nicodemuses and the women at the well. Father, that you might use us in your mission. But we thank you that you came to us on your mission and that you came to seek and save the lost. Father, help us to rest in Jesus tonight by looking to him alone. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Our closing song tonight is Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery as we're invited to gaze with the eyes of faith upon uh, the Savior Jesus. Let's stand in response.
receive God's parting blessing. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.